Bridging the gap between the eye test and the analytics, it's the Staff and Graph Podcast with your hosts, Rachel Dory and Ian Tullock. Welcome to the Staff and Graph Podcast. We're back this week. Ian, how's it going? I'm doing well. Unlike Rachel, I am not uh, bodily harmed right now with my hand in a cast, and I am not uh, about to have a really big rant right now. I'm not sure what the rant's about, but I'm intrigued. But I'm doing great. I I hear that you're not doing so great these days. I mean, I actually sound like a normal human being now, so I've I've finally kicked the lovely lung nonsense that I had. So that that's that's nice. Um there's gonna be something else. No, I am so I am taking all of the vitamins. Like I probably went out and spent a hundred and fifty dollars on vitamins just because like I'm well I'm currently eating McDonald's so my diet's not changing. So I need to add some vitamins in there. How about some kale chips? I feel like I had kale salad the other day. There you go. I know you're proud of me. (laughs) I'm I'm very proud. But Rachel We're going to talk about team toughness today. That's something that people really wanted us to talk about. But you have a rant that you need to get off your chest, and I I have no idea what it is, and I am fascinated. Let's go. All right. Whenever you're mad, I'm happy. (laughs) I just, there's something that bothers me, and it might get all of Toronto Maple Leafs fans really mad at me, but we just, we need to have this conversation because it's now the fourth year in a row that it's happened. And I'm very okay. done. Is with Leon Dreisidel better than Austin Matthews? It's not even that. It's is Austin Matthews approaching or better than Connor McDavid? And the answer is definitively no. Oh, this is your rant? That's the rant. I was literally making a joke, but if this is the rant, I'm stoked. Oh my god. Like, okay, so full disclosure, like I've been very busy with my own work and three midterms with the hockey team as well. Like, I haven't I've watched every Leaf game and a bunch of other games. And very definitively, Austin Matthews is not better than Connor McDavid. And here are a list of reasons why. They both play center. That's great. But the reason we have this stupid conversation every year is because McDavid, um, is because Matthews starts are incredible. Every year he scored a, at least a goal in the opener. His first year he scored four. I think his second year he scored two. Last year he scored one. And this year he scored two. So that's great. He starts the season on time. Probably better than the Leafs starts on their average game because they do not start on time. But that doesn't... Hashtag starting on time. Exactly. Hashtag starting on time. But that doesn't mean that he's all of a sudden better than McDavid. I don't know if people watched the first game of McDavid, but he... Is coming back from a PCL tear. Is is this really a necessary conversation? Isn't everyone well aware of the fact that McDavid's better? Then why do we have this conversation every year? Why is my Twitter feed littered with like prominent members of the media talking about how is Matthews approaching McDavid? No, he's actually not. Now, Matthews is a more efficient scorer and Mike Kelly from the Point Hockey does a really great job explaining why. And like, can I just Matthew say something? Scores... I know that a lot of people have problems with some of Mike Mike uh, Kelly's stuff, but I feel like a lot of what he says is designed to get people who don't normally listen to analytics into actually listening to him. And I feel like from that perspective, he's been doing a good job lately at showing how, hey, you want to score from some dangerous areas? Here's how some of the top players in the league are doing it. Exactly. So where Matthews is concerned, Matthews is obviously the better goal scorer. I don't think that much is up for debate. He scores almost 60% of his goals from the inner slot, which is kind of basically 
right at the net front. It's like where Tavares scores and, his goals, you know, like the goal. Yeah, line. that is insanely high. Be, like over half of at all NHL goals are scored there, but for someone to score sixty percent of their goals from there and have thirty percent of their shots from there when it's insanely hard to get to that area is incredible. And he can also snipe from the outside. So, I mean, he's the best goal scorer on the planet, right? Especially if he's added that one-timer. We can agree that he's probably the best goal scorer on the planet right now. Other than maybe Ovechkin? I was going to say, I until someone fully knocks Ovechkin off that mantle, I'm not prepared five to say Five on five, that. it's very clear at this point. Oh, power play is where five five he not needs to prove himself. He needs to prove that he can sustainably score in the power play. Because last year he did. Last year in October he did, but then teams figured it out and he couldn't score after that. Is the power play less predictable this year? And is he able to score like 15 power play goals this year? That's my question. Okay, but there's... Math. The thing about Matthews and why he's so efficient is because he actually rarely takes shots from outside of that home plate area. A lot of his shots come from inside the scoring area, which is a attributed to the fact that he gets there a lot. Right. By the way, scoring area we're referring to we're referring to the crease out to the dots. Uh, it is to the top of the circles across. It's that home plate thing that TSN okay, shows so all the time. Okay, so top of the circle to the dots and then in towards the net. It makes that little pentagon shape for people who don't know what we're talking about. Right. It's quite literally home plate in baseball. It's that shape out from the net. That's where the majority of his shots come from. Some of them are just from the inside, but he has that ridiculous release and he beats goalies. But a lot of them are from in tight. You'd be surprised how many times he finds a way to slice through defenses. 30% of his shots are in tight. It's crazy. That's incredible. It's it's Tavares-esque, but he's a better shooter from the outside than Tavares. Okay, but so that's that is Matthews' bread and butter. His shot is one of the most dangerous in the league. He is the most dangerous scorer at 5-on-5. Five five. And McDavid is quite literally the best player on the planet. He is... He has the best acceleration, and the only player in my mind that's even close, especially with the puck, is Nathan McKinnon. He His edge work is otherworldly. He's so powerful that he needs to slow down because he gets hurt. Rachel, again, I don't think we need to talk about this. People can watch hockey, and, and when he's on the ice, it's like a video game. It's Then why is it a debate every single year on Twitter? Like, Austin Matthews starts hot. That's great. Don't have the debate. Find different content. All right, are you ready for my my hot take? Oh, I can't wait. I know that he's having this hot start. I know he's having this hot start. Is Austin Matthews a top 10 player in the NHL? Because after the shooting percentage thing comes down, and it will, I think we need to talk about some things. I think we need to talk about the fact that he doesn't win many puck battles, and he's six foot three and has a phenomenal stick. I'm so, like... Sasha Barkov, Anze Kopitar, those guys win every damn puck battle, and Matthews isn't, and I find that infuriating because I think he's the second most talented player in the league, but I don't. I think his ceiling is number two after McDavid, but I don't think he's anywhere near his ceiling right now. I think he's improving in some of those areas. Transition, he's starting to actually be the guy at five on five. He used to defer. He used to defer to William Nylander every single time. I just think my big issue with the whole thing, and I'm sure we can have a conversation about Matthews on your podcast with Leaf Geeks just because like I don't want to get too Leaf heavy but for me like the fact that this even gets brought up as a topic bothers me because it's not a discussion if anyone's having a discussion for who's challenging McDavid it's Nathan McKinnon and it's nobody else and even that for me is a bit of a stretch right now like he's just McDavid is so head and shoulders analytically 
talent, all of it. He's above everyone. I'm an analytics like dude to the end, but just watch McDavid play and hockey he's the for, best. Like, two, for, for two games. <laughs> just watch, like, like my girlfriend doesn't watch hockey at all. She saw McDavid once and she's like, wow, that's the best player I've ever seen. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, he's, yeah. he's, he's the best player in the world. Like, it's very obvious. So let's stop having this debate because it has positively zero merit. And that's coming from someone who it, lives it in Toronto. James. It's like, hey, is Kobe better than LeBron no. James? Like, no, no, he's not. It's really not close. It's never been close. It's just like, so that that's my rant. It needs to stop. And if we fans, if you want to yell at me, like, come for me, I or don't, I don't care. But Connor McDavid is the best hockey player on the planet, and it's not particularly close, especially where Austin Matthews is concerned. I think Matthews could win the Hart Trophy this year if everything goes right. Uh, well, if the Oilers make the playoffs, McDavid's winning it. If McDavid makes the playoffs, it's going to be because of their goaltending and their strong penalty kill. And, and uh, not big, anything and to do with Connor. Yeah. And not anything and, to do uh, with Connor McDavid. Jujar Kyra really stepping into that top six role. Oh my god, uh, that's really alarming. <laughs> that's a rough sentence. I do like him. I root for him, but he's a fourth liner. I'm sorry, buddy. Okay, so let's, uh, now that I have got that off my chest, because the second that happened, I was like, I am going to yell and scream about this. Chris Russell's going to win the Norris when Edmonton makes the playoffs. You, you know that someone in Edmonton is going to hear this and take that clip, right? He's going to get a vote. <laughs> he's going to get like a nice fifth place vote of, hey, you know what? Chris Russell was great. And Edmonton made the playoffs. That penalty kill, all those block shots. Someone's going to do it. All right. Speaking of Chris Russell, let's talk about team toughness. Chris Russell's not team toughness. He blocks shots, Ian. That's tough. He's a he's a good, tough cowboy, according to somebody in Edmonton. It might be Jim Matheson. Okay. <laughs> Here's the thing about toughness. How do we quantify it? Because what's Ryan O'Reilly and Austin Matthews, what are the difference between those two players? To me... That's what I want. I want toughness. I, I want my player to win every goddamn puck battle. I want my player to back check like a maniac. I want my player to just really be trying 110% every shift. Watch someone like Trevor Moore on the Leafs. He's not that talented, but he tries 120% every shift. Zach Hyman can't shoot at all. I, Andrew Berkshire likes to joke that it, he should might, might as well use a boat paddle instead of a <laughs> hockey stick. But... He goes 120% every shift, and that has value. That takes away space from the opposition, and you like having players like that. Let's start from the beginning. Why do we have to have this conversation? Because people brought it up, and why did they bring it up, Ian? What happened on Saturday night? <sighs> okay, sorry. I'm getting riled up because that's what toughness is to me. But Don Cherry's mad because the Leafs don't have enough team toughness. Here's the thing. I agree with him. I do, too. But I think we disagree on what toughness means. Like, you and I probably agree what toughness means, but there are some other people who believe toughness means just punching people in the face. I think when your best player is lethargic on the forecheck and lethargic on the backcheck, and it, it doesn't set a good example from the team down. I think when Mitch Marner is flying into the offensive zone as F3, not paying attention to his defensive responsibilities, and the other team comes back for a two-on-one, I'm like... That, that's really bad for a team. And I, I guess that's defense. That's not exactly toughness. But getting in the corners, winning puck battles, 
you can't say that Matthews doesn't go to the dirty areas like in front of the net because he scores all of his goals from there. Right. But when the puck's in the dirty areas, he likes deferring to, hey, Zach Hyman, go get it. Like, no, you're near the puck. Go get it. Sidney Crosby would get it. He is the Ryan O'Reilly would get grinder, it. Sidney Crosby. Sean Couturier would get it. Mark Stone would get it, you know, and, and Matthews wouldn't. And that's part of the reason his defensive numbers aren't very good. And you need players to do stuff like that. You need, I mean, Colton Pareko, I love that dude. He's 6'6", he can skate like the wind, but like that dude never loses a puck battle. I don't know, you you need to be tougher. You need to win the one-on-one battles that you're not winning. And guess what? If Matthews is shoving people around before, during, and after the whistle, then they're not messing with him as much as they are right now. So maybe this makes me sound like an old school 200 hockey man, but the Leafs aren't tough enough. They don't need to bring in a Ben Harper. Uh, yeah, exactly. It has nothing to they do need with to, that. They need to, they need to actually just get tougher. Just go get, win that puck battle. Other players do it. I, I, I think that it's more of a team culture thing than it is a, you know, a problem with having skill because you can have skill and still win every puck. battle. Well, here's the thing is we brought up Sidney Crosby, but if you ask a bunch of, NHLers who are either recently retired or some of the older NHL players, one of the toughest players to play against was Pavel Datsuk because you quite literally could not get the puck off of him if he had it. And if you had it and he was on the ice, odds are you were probably losing that puck battle. Like, How about the LA Kings? Prime LA Kings when they were winning cups. Oh yeah, early 2010s. Kopitar. Kopitar. I'm thinking Jeff Carter. I'm thinking Jake Muzzin kind of personifies Dustin that Brown. And like, there's value to being strong on the puck, on the forecheck. There's value to winning every puck battle. There's value to not giving the other team any space. And yes, that means finishing your check uh, when you're you know, closing a guy off at the boards because he's not going to want to come towards your side anymore. You don't need to lay people out the way that you used to Scott Stevens style. But Well, he, you'd get suspended. <laughs> but look at Bergeron, look at O'Reilly, look at all the best defensive players in the world. They let you know that you're, they're going to be right on top of Miko you. Miko Koivu. Yeah. And Austin Matthews is terrible defensively. Um, William Nylander in his own end is pretty bad defensively. It's not he's great. Good at, yeah, you're right. He's good in the neutral zone. He's good in the neutral zone. But when he's engaging in a one-on-one puck battle, he's not very strong. Mitch Marner, I love him, but he's he's pint-sized. He's Johnny Gaudreau. He's never going to win a puck battle. Uh, he, can win, he can win some with his stick. He can intercept passes really well. But the team toughness element, I'm of the opinion that you got a 6-3 superstar center that's got to start from the top down. John Tavares kind of embodies some of it, but Matthews doesn't. I think that's a problem. Yeah, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. And when we talk about what defines toughness, Don Cherry is right in the fact that the Leafs are not tough enough because we just covered that. But when you're talking about, oh, team, team X isn't tough enough or team Y isn't tough enough, it's not, you can't roll your eyes because it needs to carry a different meaning now. 10, 15 years ago, tough enough meant you need to have Colt Knorr and Fraser McLaren and Jay Rosehill and whom, Donald Brashear. Donald Brashear. Uh, That's not like, no, tough, at least for me now, and even coaches, when you, like, when I think about how John Hines talks, even in the media, it's winning puck battles. It's how are you in the last 15 feet of each end of the ice? So how are you in the last 15 feet of your defensive zone and the last 15 feet of the offensive zone? Do you kill plays on the boards? Do you win the puck battles? Do you lean on guys? Do you make sure that you, they know you're there? 
right? Be more like Jake Muzzin. Be more like Ryan O'Reilly. Like these guys aren't even that talented. These guys aren't even that fast. They they don't like Jake Muzzin's not a great skater. Ryan O'Reilly can't skate. And these guys win every puck battle. Yeah, I don't like his skating technique. He's a bad skater, and he's one of the best... He might be the best two-way player in the NHL. He's one of the best ones. And he and it's because he wins every damn puck battle. And we're not and even, like... You can develop that skill. That's something you can just work harder at. We're not even talking about tough to team toughness, as in, like, Patrice Bergeron playing with a half-punctured lung. Like, that's not even... That's not even that part of it. It's quite literally being able to bounce back. And I think there's a resilience portion of it too. So if you, the easiest example is the Leafs just played the Montreal Canadiens, right? And did they, I might've missed that game. I actually did miss that game. Cause I, our team was playing, but the body, I went back and watched the highlights, the body language on the bench when they gave up goals three and four was atrocious. That's team toughness. Like you got to get up and go. It's unacceptable. You cannot hang your head like that or roll your eyes and go, here we go again, because then that's how well, you get that into a lack this of leadership. Loop. Are we talking about toughness or is that leadership? Or these are it's funny, these are the off ice these are the things that are very tough to quantify, but they will show up in the numbers because score effects. I mean Which we'll get score, to at some point. Well, score effects is a thing. But how about um what's the word I'm looking for? Just defensive metrics and who has the puck more often right and you know what i mean like guess what the teams that have the puck all the time they're winning those one-on-one puck battles toronto is has been a break-even possession team over the last few years despite having some of the best talent in the league that's a problem that means you're not doing the little things right so if you're building a team right let's move off of the leaves even though this is how this conversation got started you're building a team and I would agree that you need some level of team toughness to win i certainly don't want you throwing fighters out there because that's really all they do but you we've agreed that on a different definition of team toughness right so let's say you are building a team what are attributes in a player that you look for or that can be quantified so we talk about puck battles one loss what are other sort of statistics or attributes that you can look for in a player if you want to have this team tough identity right because i think patrice bergeron and brad marchand are very team tough type of puck play. battles one on the four check puck battles one in the defensive zone i feel like puck battles one along the boards could be a good one too you know because it's like what about takeaways but takeaways you could be someone like william nylander or mitch marner who is very good at intercepting passes no no i'm talking a takeaway where it's like you legitimately stripped a guy of the puck like Pavel Datsuk type of scenario. Another one is Mark Stone. Austin Matthews is fantastic at that, but he's not as tough as a Mark Stone or a Sean Couturier. So what makes Mark Stone and Sean Couturier, like talk, just what makes them different? Because I think both of them should be Norris, uh, not Norris. Uh, so Selfie you're talking candidate. about productive toughness. We're talking about guys who... Their team toughness, like they're stars. Those are bona fide NHL stars, Sidney Crosby too. Well, we could also talk about someone like Bufflin or, or Pareko because they do it in a productive way. Right. You so, know what I mean? how how you're building a team? How do you how do you go about this guy's toughness? He's tough to play against. Yeah, because it's independent of your talent. You can be tough in a, on the bottom six. You can be tough in the top six, but I think it really just comes down to there's a loose puck. There's you. There's another guy. You're both about the same distance from it. Who's coming out with that puck? 
Right. Like, I think Andrew and Cobb in Winnipeg w- is a really good example. Of list this. off the players, want, like, literally number one through the bottom. Like, you put them in a 50-50 puck race, in the boards, in, a, in late in a third period in a tie game. Who's coming out with that puck? Right. You know what? And how about it's not late in the third period of the game? Because maybe that's when these players are actually trying. Maybe it's halfway through the second period on a Tuesday night. Who's actually going to get that puck? Because I can guarantee you that if it's Sidney Crosby and Austin Matthews, it's Sidney Crosby. Sidney Cros- <laughs> Crosby's coming out with the puck every time. He just he tries harder. And I, I'm sorry to say that about a player, but that's what people want to see. People want to see you try. In the NBA, when I'm looking at defensive players, I'm looking for guys that are getting right up in there. And like Patrick Beverly is one of my favorite defensive players. He just tries really, really. I don't hard. even know who that is. He's not skilled. He's six feet tall. He can't dribble. He can't pass. These are things that a point guard is usually able to do, but he's one of the better players in the league because he's ridiculous. His, his motor, he's the Trevor Moore of the NBA. And it's part of the reason he's effective. And in the NHL, you have some guys who aren't the most talented, but they work so hard. They win every puck Antoine battle. Antoine Roussel they have actually value. might be a good example. Now, he's overpaid. I love Antoine Roussel. He, he, Michael Furlan might be another Michael one that the Furlan, analytics don't love. The yeah. analytics don't love him, but I can understand why you'd want that on your team. Oh, 100%. You know what I mean? I want all my players to play like Michael Furlan. Michael Furlan doesn't have the skill level of... Elias Pettersson. You know, Exactly, or most top six players. He should probably be a third-line player, but he's not. He's a second-line player because of how hard he tries. You know who was really tough to play against <laughs> that I feel like don't get enough credit? Speaking of Vancouver, the Sedins. Eh. Mm. Eh. Oh, my God. Come on. First of all, I think, what was it? Henrik didn't miss a game. He was there. You can't even, on the cycle, you didn't even touch Is them. it caveman-ish of me to not like it when Hendrick Sedin just takes seven punches in the face? I think it's, yeah. Well, here's the thing is, he that's how he drew penalties. But I'm talking like in the field of play. Whistle the whistle, you thought he was tough? not get the puck off these guys. And they'd win their puck battles, they'd generate scoring chances, they'd lean on guys, get in on the forecheck. Like, that's the kind of team toughness, when you're talking about leadership and being difficult to play against, that's tough to play against. Leadership and being difficult to play against, letting a guy punch you seven times in the face. I don't know. I feel like standing up for yourself sends a good message. (laughs) You are such a caveman. Oh my God. Stand up for yourself. It sends a good message. Like, no one's going to mess with you. I don't know. You don't need to drop your gloves, but push someone back in a scrum. Yeah, like I think actually a really, Matthew Kachuk and Brady Kachuk, actually, for that matter, just everyone with the last name Kachuk. If Brady Kachuk or Matthew Kachuk sees someone mess with your teammate after a whistle, he's going right in there to help them out. And I feel like he brings that mentality between the whistles as well. Oh my god, yeah, and both of them. They're both And that's why he wins so many against. damn puck battles. Look at their shot metrics at 5-on-5. Five five. They live in the offensive zone. That's because they always win the battle to get the puck there. And for Brady Kachuk, it's even more impressive considering who he plays with. And they don't even need to be that skilled to be effective. They are skilled, and that's what makes it like, incredible. But they don't even need to have first-line level skill to have first-line impacts. Agreed. Because because they you can just put them alongside a really good puck mover, and that puck's going up the ice. Now, in Ottawa, it's a bit of an issue <laughs> where you don't have any puck movers. Yeah, I think that, what do they have? They have Eric Brandstrom and Thomas Shabbat. Yeah. It yeah, sort exactly. of ends there. But, like, Mark Stone doesn't need to advance the puck himself for the puck to get up the ice. Uh, Sean Couturier, Ryan O'Reilly, look at his um, zone entry, uh, zone exit stats. They're not very good. 
But when you win every puck battle, you can have more skilled teammates do that for you. Right. Because you win the puck battle, it gets to Braden Shen or whomever, and or Robert Thomas, and they can move the puck up the ice. Right? Now, I think the big disagreement in terms of, well, sure, they, a lot of people who advocate for toughness would want to see that too. But the difference between, say, the Boston Bruins and the Carolina Hurricanes... What's your opinion on that? Because I feel like Carolina is one of the best teams at taking away space um, on the forecheck, on the backcheck. I love the way Nino Niederreiter plays. But I don't think people would say that they're as tough as Boston or St. So Louis. So I think this this kind of reminds me of what one coach said, and it was when a guy plays against you in the corner, let's say, when he goes off the ice, is he like, Dear God, I don't want to deal with that again. Or, yeah, I got no problem going back in that battle with him. That's a... Because if you're leaning on a guy or if you're tough with your stick or you kind of... You ain't physically engaged with a player, that kind of thing, it's way easier. Like like I said, would you rather go into a corner with Sidney Crosby, who is going to beat the living daylights out of you? But he's going to do it in a more skilled fashion. He's not going to punch you in the head unless you're Pierre-Luc Dubois. Um, Or would you rather go in the corner with a guy like Austin Matthews, who is bigger, but he's not stronger? Um, If I'm Colton Pareko, I'm going to have a much easier time just shoving Matthews aside and getting that puck. Whereas even someone like Brendan Gallagher... I'd much yeah. rather face Austin Matthews in the corner than Brendan Gallagher because Brendan Gallagher is going to fight like a goddamn chihuahua <laughs> to get that. So puck. when I'm looking at it, it's it's <laughs> would would you want to go back in the corner with that player? Do you want to play against that player? Yes or no? And then how often do you kill plays? And what I mean by kill plays is if you're on the boards and let's say it's it's not a puck battle, but you and another player come together on the boards, you knock that puck away or you find a way to get that puck away from the player so it doesn't get kind of bumped to the middle for a scoring chance. So how often when the puck is near you does the play die defensively? So that Now, you need to combine this with skill and puck moving ability up the ice and people who can finish. So you know who did a good job of that the other night? <laughs> Morgan Riley came back against... Uh, who were they playing? I'm trying to bring up the importance of effective toughness, and you're going to bring up defensive black hole Morgan Riley. Excuse me. I was using an, a particular example. He came back when I believe like Martin Marincin was back or something like that, lifted a puck, uh, like took the puck away on a guy who was rushing, and then immediately turned it up ice. He killed the play. Like it was done. Now, he is, let's not pretend that Riley is good defensively, but that just happened to be an example that was fresh in my head because I ended up showing it to one of my players at York. But there's He doesn't win as many puck battles as someone like Jake Muzzin. Oh my god, no. Jake Muzzin wins the most puck battles on the team, for sure. <laughs> and that's my point. That's why he's one of... That's, he might be my favorite player on the team because he also makes a solid first pass. He, you, when you combine that mentality with talent, your results are always positive i can't think of many players who they're not michael furland's an interesting one but again i'd be curious to see if you play michael furland with an alias petterson are they more than the sum of their parts i think they are so for I me that that has matt dumba is a really good example of when i talk about killing plays like his entry defense in terms of like breakups per 60 he doesn't allow a ton of possession entries like that's kind of what i'm talking about 
where the play kind of dies when it's I on know, his you side. You can lay yes. a dude out too. If you lay a dude out occasionally too, no one's gonna, <laughs> yeah. no one's gonna complain. But you just absolutely wreck a guy. But you can't just be going for hits every time because then you're Dion Phaneuf and you're missing most of the time and it's an odd man rush. Not ideal. But yeah, I think Matt Dumba doesn't get enough credit. Um, he's really good with it. It's funny. You want, you want players who have like a combination of the skill and the ability to win puck battles. And here's the thing. You can get bigger and stronger and win puck battles. You can? You know what I mean? Like, it's, that's something you can improve. Who knew? <laughs> Just because you were drafted as like a scrawny, like, you know, 17 year old. And then when you're in your young 20s, mid 20s, guess what? You can put on some bulk and really win those puck battles. Shocking. I actually didn't know that. <laughs> like Anze Kopitar, when he got really big, I'm like, oh my God, this guy's terrifying. <laughs> this guy's terrifying. What? But when he was drafted, he wasn't that big. He got bigger. Yes, you're correct. <laughs> I don't know. I'd like to see Matthews put on like 10 plus pounds and just like body people in the Well, corners. it's not even that. Like, like you look at. You take McKinnon, take Crosby, who's the best example. Look at McKinnon's shoulders. For, what do you mean McKinnon's <laughs> shoulders? He's built like a running back. The guy is a truck, right? But when he goes in the corner, he gets his ass in the way, and you can't move. It's like Yager. Oh, my God. See, here's the thing. Sidney Crosby always is, like, you know, a best ass in the NHL, but, I mean, we've, after looking at Nathan McKinnon's, man, I got to tell you, it's, it's there's a debate. There's a debate for best ass in Cole Harbor. Well, first of all, look at how they use it. When you're talking about going into a corner with that guy, like, holy moly. Trying to get the the puck off of either one of those two guys. They just, their legs are massive. Their rear ends are massive. And it's tiring as a defenseman or even as a forward. So so we found the definition for toughness. It's uh, thickness per 60. And it has nothing to do with fighting. Zero, actually, to do with it. See, I would argue that I'd like to see the occasional drop of the gloves in certain situations. Oh, I don't hate it, but that's not what defines it. I, but I would say that never doing it would kind of be an extension of that, you know? No, you've got you you... to drop them every once in a while. But let's not advocate for that. that's the thing that I like... think a lot of people agree with. And I'm like, well, guess what? I don't think fighting should exist in the game, but it currently exists. So use it. And if you... <laughs> And if you don't fight the other team when they do something bad to you, but they're fighting you every time you do something bad to them, then all of a sudden you're the one team who isn't standing up for its players. And I know that that sounds dumb, but guess what? Like that, that can matter. And I think people have a problem with that in Toronto, and I can understand it. I honestly do understand it. Well, because it. you look in Boston, Brad Marchand can run around and do the things that he does because they quite literally have a human tree who can kill someone playing for their team and i'd prefer my you know superstar doesn't drop the gloves but if they did it like once or twice a year i wouldn't hate sid has seven fights in a 14 year career and he didn't play two years of that so he's almost the fight a season so that's like enough of a i'm thinking like some evgeny malkin like you just go into red mist mode like (gasps) once or twice a year and just Just like try to kill someone Try to murder somebody, and it's like, guess what? Like, that's dumb, and that's kind of ridiculous. But people are a lot more afraid of Evgeny Malkin after he started doing stuff like that than before. I think that made him harder to play against in the playoffs. So, I know that people think that this is dumb, and guess what? At the end of the day, some of this is kind of dumb. Oh, for sure. Like fighting in in a in a team sport compared to basketball, compared to football, and that's just well, they so don't dumb. fight but... in basketball or in actually baseball for that matter. They talk and like maybe poke each other. Yo, Josh Donaldson's tough okay. as nails, man. That He's guy will different. come flying into a dog pile. 
he goes full send. Like, you put hockey equipment on that guy, and if one of his teammates gets hurt, he is going, and he's going to He'd be Jerome McGinley. He'd, he'd score 50 goals, and he'd fight your tough guy just to send is a message. Is Jerome McGinley the ultimate, like, tough, skilled guy? Shanahan might have been up there. Uh, there's there's some good ones. But Jerome McGinley, man, like, holy... Or, Get, oh, even here we go. Gets I'm gonna go lab. full leaf. Gonna go full leaf. Wendell Clark, oh. baby. I tell you. I tell you. This. Guy. Okay, but you're not wrong in that assessment. Like that's why people loved him because he did stuff like that. And here's the thing: you don't need to fight all the time. You don't. But you're gonna need to fight a couple times a year, and it shouldn't have to be 36 year old Ron Hainsey doing it. That's kind of an embarrassment. Yeah, that's not ideal. Like I'm glad that Hainsey did it, but like, can one of the younger guys get in there for f- sake? I'm sorry, I swore, but. Like now we're gonna have to mark this podcast team. as explicit. Way to go, Ian. Uh, I'm frustrated because I can relate to why people are mad, but at the same time think that it's a bit ridiculous that we're even talking about this. But guess what? It exists, and if you're not doing something about it, I think that's gonna show itself in the results because I think you're gonna be a wimpier team in puck battles. Well, you know what's it? so Rasmus Ristolainen gets flack, and I mean rightfully so, but. The whole thing with him is he gets also this red mist rage and gets into the odd fight. So there is some toughness quality there. And for all his faults, Nazem Kadri was the same. I mean, very inopportune timing for Nazem Kadri. But the one thing you can say... I mean, that's probably why he's not a Leaf anymore, right? For being realistic. He at least, when the time, when it was necessary, he was not afraid to drop the gloves. And I think... And he was like the only guy on the team who really had that kind of mentality. And now he's not there and people feel like that element's missing. And I'm like, well, it is. First of all, Nazem Kadri shouldn't be your toughest player anyways. He should be a little rat. But the fact that a little rat is your toughest player, I think that's a problem. Yeah. See, I would say like Ryan O'Reilly, like, would you be surprised if you turned on the morning highlights and was like, oh, Ryan O'Reilly got in a fight last night? I'd be like... Yeah, and I'd just be like, well, maybe someone was, you know, pushing around Mitch Marner and he decided he wasn't going to let that happen. And I know that that sounds ridiculous, but again, when a rule is there and you're allowed to do it, you should do it. (laughs) Okay, so let's wrap this up. We talked about puck battles, winning puck battles. We talked about killing plays. I'm not quantifying hits because hitting means that you don't possess the puck. Maybe it's like... Hold on. Hitting players who have the puck. Right. But leaning on guys like in the corner, you know, heavy shifts, like that was a thing. I want want a Tom Wilson. I don't want a Matt Martin. You know what I mean? Oh my God. That's a perfect example. You want a Tom Wilson, not a Matt Martin. Bingo. Matt Martin levels guys who have already gotten rid of the puck. Tom Wilson, well... mm. He also scores like 25 goals a year. So, yes, team toughness, because he is a deterrent. Because it's not even like if you go after Nick Backstrom, you'll have to answer for it five minutes later when the goon comes out. Tom Wilson is literally already on the ice and will kill you. I don't know. He's winning puck battles. I feel like Matt Martin isn't winning as many puck battles as Tom Wilson. I feel like Tom Wilson's checks on the four checks separate not player from puck. They separate player from shoulder. (laughs) they end up on the ground even over and here's the thing if a player ends up on the ground after a hit you can skate into open ice and they won't be there it sounds dumb but it has value yes like if you play nhl 20 people and you have a physical player who knocks a dude down on the forecheck 
all of a sudden it's a three on two. You skate in front for that backdoor pass and you score and you go, how did I score that goal? It's because you knocked the dude down. And Tom Wilson's like the, the, the like mayor of easy goals because he knocked dudes down. He's also the mayor of I should be suspended and somehow got away with it. Yeah, and here's the thing. Again, he's a perfect example of if you can get away with it, you should do it. Radko Gudis is another oh example God. of... Here's the thing. We're getting into murky waters here because what they do is a lot of the times illegal. A lot of the time. I'm glad we pointed that out. <laughs> but the closer you can walk to the line and not break the rule, you should be doing it every you single time. You know who is undercover really good at it that doesn't get enough flack? Jake DeBrusque. I have seen him... I thought you were going to say, like, Shea Weber or something Okay, like well, that. he's not undercover. He outright is very difficult to play against. But Jake DeBrusque, like, I want to say it was against Florida. It might have been Tampa. It was definitely in the Eastern Conference. He has a real nasty habit of either sticking his knee or elbow out. Or just outright I mean, jumping he, into guys. He got Nazem Kadri kicked out of the Leafs series. That has value. Yeah. <laughs> yes, but he he also doesn't really have to answer, and he scores. He's a very productive player. Like he's their second line player, and he's abundantly productive. Dustin Brown has got people suspended by pissing them off in in playoff series. Like it has value. It it absolutely does. If you can incite a player to do something colossally stupid to get themselves removed from the game, you take that player's value out of the game. And that is valuable. Now, don't, I'm not advocating for being a lunatic, but you know what? If you can get in on the four check and you can knock a couple guys down and, and walk that line, but walk it properly, that's ideal. Like every team would benefit from that. Every shift going up against you should be a nightmare. Exactly. And I feel like for certain teams it is. Like, I just don't want to play the St. Louis Blues. No, thank you. I'd rather not. Um, even Vegas, I think, is a good example of like, oh, really? Like, And here's the thing. I kind of like Ryan Reeves on the fourth line because it goes with the team culture of it. And I don't like his contract value. But I like the fact that everyone on the team's finishing checks, and then you see Ryan Reeves going at it after the whistle, and then someone on the second or third line might go harder into the corner on the next shift. I feel like that's kind of a team culture identity thing, and I think this is why people advocated for someone like Matt Martin on the Leafs. Even though the contract was absurd, if it was one year, one million, it would have been perfect. Agree. So, isn't there value for that player in the league still? I think there is, and... And that, but I think it's more going to all the tough guys that we've talked about can all skate. You have to be at bare minimum, like you don't have to score. We're not asking you to be Tom Wilson, but you need to be able to skate and keep up with the play. You know what I'm saying? Like Ryan Reeves can, he can skate. He's no Nathan McKinnon, but he can get around the ice. But isn't it more valuable to have Jason Spezza in that spot than someone who could potentially take that well, spot? Yes. Or I'm trying to think of a fourth line option on some teams, you know? Like, but what I'm saying is that's like, the argument. The, if your stars, who, let's face it, are going to be on the ice more often than you're not stars, they need to be able to have that. I'm not saying you have to be Sidney Crosby or Pavel Datsuk. That's just it, outright, it's not going to happen. But you need to, if you go in the corner with, some, with a defenseman, that defenseman's got to come out of it being like, damn, like, I don't want to battle with that guy. And especially if you're big, like Johnny Goudreau is not going to be menacing anyone. The guy is 
soaking wet 170 pounds. Yeah, and like Braden Point, Matt Barzell, it's like the same thing. It's like, guess what? We don't expect you guys to but look at Matthew you know, push Kachuk. people around. No one wants to go in the corner with him. How big is he? I want to say he's like six foot one. Brendan Gallagher. Like Brendan Gallagher is a perfect example. He's literally <laughs> he's listed. I think he's listed at like five nine or five ten. I'm like, I don't, I don't buy it. Well, Alex Debrink gets five seven, so I feel like he's a few inches taller than him. Is he? He's always hunched over though, so it's hard to it's hard to know. All right, <laughs> so that's now we've covered team toughness, but we agree you you need it to win. You do. In the oh, here's the thing: in the playoffs, the games tighten up. So the teams who are the best at playing tight hockey are well, going well. You to can win. also get away. with I will murder. say that game six of Leafs Bruins. If the Leafs can play every game like they did game six against the Bruins, there aren't going to be any issues with the Leafs. But they don't play that way very often. So you do need I think team that's toughness what the to concern win. That people have like you need to be resilient. You need to be able to go into a corner and win a puck battle because that's, I guarantee you, if you're going to win the cup at some point in a very key part of the game, you are going to be dependent upon to win a puck battle. And if you don't win it, that likely costs you. And guess what? Shit's going to go down in the playoffs that didn't go down in the regular season. Man- uh, there are going to be a lot more scrums after the whistle. There are going to be a lot more pushes. Cross-checking in front of the net. Hits. You're going to be so pissed off and so riled up. You're going to need to know how to play in those games. If you're only playing in those games in the playoffs and you've only really played that style of hockey a couple times well, I don't have confidence saying that you're going to have success. I think this is part of the reason why Tampa and Toronto have trouble adapting to playoff hockey sometimes. I still think they're phenomenal. I still would put my money on Tampa winning the cup. But I think when a team like Vegas plays that way every night, I think they have an easier time adapting to playoff hockey. Now, they ran into some weird shit last year, but I still think they're arguably the best team in the West right now. You know, like that's Carolina, St. Louis, Boston. That's how you want your team to be designed to win in the playoffs. Tampa Bay, I love them, but I'm still might be feeling better about those other teams just because of how dominant they're going to be at five on five. They're going to win every puck battle. Right. Alrighty. So we've covered that. Should we, uh, should we get to the mailbag? Do we have time for any any quick mailbag questions? I'm not sure what we're dealing with here. 40 minutes, 42 minutes. Yeah, we got time. All right, let's do a quick one. All right, um, we'll start here. Slow starts. Um, I know we went through our predictions. Uh, the Sharks haven't won yet at the time of this recording. The Rangers haven't started the best. The Devils neither. And uh, Tampa? Question mark. What's going on? Personally, I think we should overreact to every three game stretch of throughout this regular season. Of course, I think. I think a month from now, when Connor McDavid goes scoreless in three games, we should be asking ourselves, is it time for the Oilers to trade Connor McDavid? Like, these, these are the questions I think we need to ask. <laughs> if I see like, that headline, oh my god. I think the hard part with the beginning of a season is that it's three games, and it's the only sample you have, so you're going, oh my god, this is such a big deal, but you're going to realize 82 games later that they didn't really matter any more than that three-game stretch that you missed in February. But, uh, no, what or, I was more asking was, are, are you seeing? have you seen anything concerning in the numbers or the play? I'm not talking about the score, because well, you and I, just, I are both... A lot of it I don't care, because systems aren't even set by now. Right, you know? like, I think that doesn't get taken into account, is, like, the first month of the season, bet the over on every single game, because it's literally a carnival, unless Minnesota's playing. 
And when you look at some power plays, they're going to look absolutely unstoppable. You're going to be like, oh my god, how's a team ever going to stop it? And guess what? When they get a lot of tape on it a few weeks later, they're going to have some counters. And then that's when the real chess match starts. Right. Can you make adjustments? Because right now, you, you don't really need to be making any adjustments because teams don't really have your full system. Now I've like you see Colorado's it. power play is just ping-ponging the puck around and I'm like, "Yep, like guess what? As great as it looks right now, it's not going to be as good in November and December." So let's let's not overreact to it too much even though it does look great. So I like for me, I think the Sharks bounce back and I think Tampa bounces back and I think that starts happening this week. Like I think that they've kind I, of But I don't care if like if if they lose a game or two. It's like guess that's hockey. Yeah, if they go 0 and 7, then we might have a different discussion. <laughs> Yeah, but I, I think it's only if it's, like, something sustainably wrong. You know, like, when St. Louis... St. Louis got off to a really bad start, and they were getting outshot, outplayed at 5-5. Five and five. Nothing was going right. And it was just like, what's going on here? This team's obviously good. Look at their roster. But you know what's funny is when they change coaches, people have, like, have, have dived deep into this. Like, like I'm, uh, Rutherford at, at The Athletic. And there was nothing systemically they changed that much. But it seemed like a team culture thing where the team just started trying much harder. And I'm like... Tries hard, likes I don't the know. game. Yeah. I, I, it's hard for me to evaluate a team based on the first month of the season. Very, because yeah. I don't know how hard anyone's trying. So Some people are side, trying hard, but some people are clearly not trying that hard. Flip side. Other than Anthony Mantha, who has impressed you in the first week of the season? Anthony Mantha is a good pick. Well, he uh, scored four score... goals the other day. So <laughs> Mika Zibanejad oh. is on pace for over three hundred points. So is that good? What, what do you have? Uh, two goals? Uh, no, four goals and four assists. Yeah, he had eight in points his, uh, in two games and the hat trick against Ottawa to boot. Yeah. Basically asking them why. Hey, remember that time you traded me for Derek Brassard? Oh God, <laughs> that's just not good. Uh, can you imagine being in his shoes and knowing that they did that to you? Just thinking, are you, are you out of your mind? Yes. The answer is <laughs> emphatically yes. They're cheap is what they are. Oh, but... God, yeah. But who, like, anyone else that's kind of impressed you? I've been impressed by not only Anthony Manta, but Tyler Bertuzzi, too. Yeah, I'm trying to think of the teams around the league that I've been watching. I think Rasmus Dahlin I like Vegas. has been I like very Vegas. good. Rasmus Dahlin is comically good at hockey. Uh I'm trying to think. Ilya Mikheyev, baby. Oh, God, I knew Mikheyev. it. I, I was waiting. I'm like, he's saying more in Mikheyev, and I just, I know this. Mike Stevens, we're here for you, pal. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think. Uh, Carolina's been impressive for me because they've been down, I think, in every game in the third period and come back, and they're th- they're like, they're 3-0. and and I mean, Carolina's impressive to begin with. They're the, They're in the offensive zone all game. They win every puck battle again. And, like, I'm not sure if... It's the same as the St. Louis and the Boston thing when it comes to being tough after the whistle. But during the whistle, man, Carolina's, they're winning every puck battle in the offensive zone. Yep. And they are, when they get going, that's like, that's tough to play against too. They always have the puck, always chasing. Svechnikov could score like 35, 40 goals this year. If the power play gets going, Aho could score 90 points and be a Selkie candidate. Uh, that team is unbelievable. I love that team. I don't trust their goaltending, but I love that team. How dare you say you don't trust their goal? No, I'm kidding. I don't I'm trust kidding. any team's goaltending. And then the <laughs> the other obvious who's been impressive for McDavid. Like, he doesn't... Let, let's say he's not dominant the whole game, but then 
he is the ultimate game breaker where it's like, oh, I'm here against Vancouver is a perfect example. I mean, that was not the best defensive play I've ever seen from Brandon Sutter. But the fact that he was one on basically three and the D was ahead of him and then he was on a breakaway three strides later is insanely impressive to me. Can I pick someone? Oh, go ahead. Austin Matthews, and it's going to kind of go against everything I've said, but I think statistically he's going to have like a a Steven Stamkos-esque season where he, if he stays healthy, he could go for 60. I feel like he could actually have that kind of year with the way that he's generating shots, with the way that he's actually moving the puck up every single time in transition. It's unlike we've anything we've seen since Stamkos when it comes to the amount of shot volume, shot quality and shooting percentage all in one player. Usually some players are, are really good at one thing. You know, Ovechkin, his shot volume is ridiculous. Patrick Lane doesn't shoot that much, but his shooting percentage is like 20. 20%. And yeah, and he can get to like 18% sustainably. He's like Kovalchuk. That's how good he is. But Matthews combines shot volume and shot shooting percentage. He, he doesn't shoot as high as a percentage as Lane. He doesn't shoot as many pucks as Ovechkin, but he's close to both of those players. You combine that, I think you're going to have a 60-goal season. I just don't think he stays healthy for 82 games. I think it's, you know, 70 is probably a better bet at this point because he hasn't shown an ability to stay healthy for a full 82-game season. I believe it when I see it. I think if he's healthy, 50. Okay. Here's the thing, though. I think he might have a Steven Stamkos-esque kind of year, but that Steven Stamkos here, he still wasn't back-checking. He still wasn't winning a lot of puck battles. If that's what Austin Matthews ends up being ultimately as a player, I'll be very disappointed. I feel like he missed his ceiling because I think he could be a Stamkos-esque goal scorer, but also a Kopitar-esque presence in the other elements of the game. And I feel like he... So Sidney Crosby? I feel like he could get there. I feel like he could get to the McDavid level of not as good as McDavid, but I feel like he could be the second best player in the world. And I don't think he's frankly close right now. I, I don't think he's think he so far either. behind McKinnon. Yep. I think he's really far behind McKinnon. I think he's behind Crosby. I think he's behind someone like Mark Stone, who just two-way impact. Guess what? It matters. And Matthews doesn't have two-way impact at 5-5 five and five yet. Mm, yes. I mean, I would say... But he could prove if it. If you're building a team, you're year. taking Matthews just because, A, like he's a center. B, you need the goals. But Mark Stone, like, you could have a discussion about it for sure. But here's the thing with Matthews is that I want him to prove that he can dominate at five and five. And I'd like to see him do it without Nylander for a while. Well, you know, that's not going to happen. It's probably not going to happen, but let's say Nylander gets injured for two weeks. Oh, okay. I don't want that line to be getting outshot at five and five against David Krejci. You know, I'm sorry. I just, I I don't want that for my star player. I feel like that's a fair. Well, I don't think as a coach, you want your star player getting outshot or outpossessed or outscoring chance to buy anybody. Like that they're playing against, especially. But let's talk about something like McDavid and McDavid and Crosby's wingers aren't ever any good, and they still kick the crap out of the opposition when they're on the. Well, ice. okay, so McDavid had uh, Drysaitel last year, but Crosby had Kunitz and Dupuis for but, like. But my five point is that when years. McDavid doesn't have when McDavid doesn't have Drysaitel, he's still kicking the crap out of the opposition. Right, because he's just not that to the same good. degree, but he's still kicking the crap out of them. Agreed. He's just that good. Austin Matthews, without Nylander, has never kicked the crap out of the opposition. And I'm like, dude, you need to skate this puck end-to-end and create the scoring chance and create for your teammates all by yourself. Like, you got to do it. You have the talent to do it. He's doing more of it this year, but I want to see more. I, I want to see it for 82 games. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not confident he's a full 200-foot player yet. And when he is, it's going to be scary. But I'm not sure if he ever gets there. 
Fair enough. Is that too hot? Is that too hot to say that Matthews is just like not a 200 foot player at this point in his career? Oh my God. I think it would be hot to say, like, it would be a hot take to say he is a 200 foot player because outright that's incorrect. Like Remember it's, when it's, uh, Babcock said that he's uh, going to be the best two-way forward in the league at one point? I and, think he has that uh, potential. Manny joked, he's like, that's are those problem. two elements? And that's the thing. Manny's like, are those two elements scoring goals and also scoring goals? <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, that's the thing. It's like, you can be Steven Stamkos and score a bazillion goals, and it's awesome. Ovechkin, you can score a bazillion goals, and it's awesome. But you're not the best player in the league until you can dominate at five-on-five, five, regardless of who you're playing and- with. And what Mc- I'm seeing is like with McDavid, we talk about he's the best player. He's also penalty killing because they trust him to penalty kill. Austin Matthews does not penalty kill. And I probably yeah, but I'd like won't. to see him do it, if nothing else, just to see him work on that side of the game. Right. Well, it, it'll be bad. It'll be ugly does the first Nathan month McKinnon or two. Does McKinnon penalty kill? Uh, probably a little bit. Well, now they, they've got Kadri. So he, I, but, but he probably does a little bit. He can. He definitely can. Oh, kill? I don't penalty think he does. All the time. Does he? Patrice Bergeron penalty kills. Probably one of the best penalty That's killers in the did. league. Yeah. Think of the best five and five players in the world at driving play at five and five. They're all good penalty killers. Every single one of them. Like those guys, when you when you have the abilities that are going to help you at five on five to maintain puck possession and take away puck possession, those same skills still apply in the penalty kill. But Matthews isn't that good at those skills at five on five. <laughs> he needs to improve them. Yes, you're correct. Uh, this has been a Matthews rant, but also a Matthews has otherworldly talent and should be the second best player in the world. Does he ever get there? We'll see. I don't know. Were we too harsh on poor, uh, poor Mustachio? Uh, no. And thank you for coming to our TED talk. That's that was literally yeah. And we're gonna end by talking about Austin Matthews' summer. No. Ah, uh, no. We will not be going down that road. Don't be an idiot. I'll I'll start there and end there. Exactly. Uh, but I think that basically wraps up everything today. Is there anything else you wanted to touch on last minute, Rachel? I think we're good. I got the rant off my chest. We talked about team toughness, which I feel like was a pretty productive conversation. Kind of defined it a little bit. I And here's the thing. I think people might disagree on what we mean by it. And that's okay. I think it's okay to have disagreements. And I'm sure but we I, won't hear about it at all. Oh, we're going to hear about it. But my point is that I, it can be a productive conversation if you let it be. But I feel Agreed. like so many people refuse to, oh, toughness, it doesn't matter. Like, oh, off ice, intangibles, doesn't matter. I'm like, well, let's get into a conversation about why something like this might matter. And let's talk about ways that we can measure it. If not, like, let's use examples of players who have it and players who don't and what they can do to become players that do. You know what I mean? Like, there's there are productive ways that we can have conversations about things we disagree with. And I feel like online, a lot of the times, we we don't engage in that. And and it's easy to just, just be nice to people. Just don't be a dick. Ian, you're asking people to be rational online, and that is, I'm just sorry, not going to happen. Not a dick. You don't even need to be nice. Just be not a dick. <laughs> Such and a low this bar. Be s- and the bar is like literally it is on the like, floor. It's it's Cody CC low. It's like, can you be Morgan Riley's partner and not die when you're on the ice? And people will be happy. People will be happy if that line breaks even at five on five, despite the fact that they're playing with phenomenal top six talent and enormous quality. We will not partner. have any Morgan Riley break even, on this we'll podcast. We'll be fine. We'll be. I said Norris quality. Yeah, we will not have slander on this podcast, Ian. You know that. About who? Morgan Riley. Oh, I thought it was about Cody Cece. I'm like, hey, I'm the one saying. Either of them. <sighs> Whatever. 
I I don't think anyone's gonna get too mad about what I said about CC because he might be fine. He might be like a number five, number Man, six. That's you, you know what? Need we need to have this conversation at some point because if you miscast a, a player who could be like a number four or five D as a number one D, of course they're gonna look terrible. So that's maybe next week we'll talk about miscasting players. But like Rasmus Ristolainen is still an NHL player. Oh, He's yeah. just he shouldn't be in your top pair. He, Maybe, can you really shelter that dude at 5-on-5? Five five? Because I feel like if you shelter him significantly, give him ozone starts, and put him on the power play, I think he could be an effective player. I just think that the role he's used for is the opposite of his skill set. Fair. Alrighty. Well, maybe next week we'll talk about players who are miscast and where they might be better suited. We'll just make a list. We'll see. I'm, I'm sure that we'll, we'll bother people, we'll, we'll frustrate whether it's uh, Buffalo fans who think that he's going to win a Norris. Oh or, uh... You have another defenseman <laughs> who's going to win a Norris. Just pay attention to him. He's the third. Uh, no, he's the fourth best right-handed defenseman on the roster. <laughs> exactly. Sorry, Alrighty. that's a joke. In fa- fantasy value, though, he's number one. Ooh. Power play points matter, baby. Oh, God. I've learned this. I'm in a fantasy league, and I've, I've learned to love the players that I don't love in real life. All right, and with that, we'll leave it. There's Ian's fantasy advice. Travis Dermott is not on my fantasy team. He's number one in my heart, but he's like number 500 on my defense power ranking. He's just not going to get the points. I'm sorry, it's not going to happen. All righty, well, we'll talk next week. 500 might be a bit low, maybe 100. How many defensemen are in the NHL? (laughs) The internal musings of Ian Tullock. 500 would be much too low. That would be like ECHL level. Alrighty. Yeah, we gotta get out of here. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back next week with a new topic, and I'm sure we'll discuss whatever the topic du jour is in the NHL. Thank you for listening to the Staff and Graph podcast. You can check out Rachel Dory's work at The First Pass, and Ian Tullock's written work can be found at The Athletic and the Leafs Geeks podcast on whatever platform you're listening to this. Also, be sure to follow these nerds on Twitter at Rachel Dory and at Ian Graph.